Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, Greetings, people of God, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Greetings. Can I just say I just love looking at all of you. I love being in the house of God, seeing all of you gathered, seeing all of you excited to see each other, and I just love it. It's one of my favorite things in the whole world. So blessed be the name of the Lord. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. And the righteous run into it, and they are saved. Some trust in chariots, and some trust in horses, but I will trust in the name of the Lord. Today, as we gather on this second week of Reformation Month here at Foundation Church, we continue our focus on the Reformers and the Psalms. My, psalm, my sermon for you today is called the Psalms of Calvin. This week, as we talk about him, we will learn how great, through great adversity, from within and without, this is kind of the theme, not only did he have adversity from his enemies, but he had them from the people in his own church. He persevered like King David. Like Paul and Silas who were thrown in jail for preaching the gospel, the whole world became a prison of sorts for Calvin. But like these great fathers of the church, he sang and God busted open the doors and began the Reformation. Amen? Like David, he sang this. He sang from Psalm 113, which is what they call the Halil, or the great praise of God. Psalm 113 says, Praise ye the Lord. Praise, O ye servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forevermore. From the rising of the sun unto the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations, and His glory is above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who dwells on high, who humbles Himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in earth? He raiseth up the poor out of the dust, and He lifteth the needy out of the dunghill, that He may set him with princes, even with the princes of His people. He maketh the barren woman to keep house, and a joyful mother of children. Praise Ye the Lord. Can we say praise ye the Lord? Praise ye the Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you. We praise you, Lord. Today we lift up our hands before you, Lord. You are so worthy to be praised and so kind to your people. We thank you for once again calling your people to worship you. For allowing us to come into your presence when we don't deserve to, Lord. We come with unclean hands and unclean lips and you cleanse us. Lord, we pray that you would forgive our sins today. That you would draw us nearer to you. That you would feed us from heaven. Change us and make us more like you. In Christ's name we pray. And all the church said. Amen. Amen. moments as I read for you my text. My text is actually an entire psalm, which is not a long one. It's only eight verses long. Psalm 124. 
Once again, my sermon title today is called The Psalms of Calvin. And my text is Psalm 124. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, now may Israel say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when men rose up against us, then they had swallowed us up quick with their wrath kindled against us. Then the waters had overwhelmed us. The stream had gone over our soul. Then the proud waters had gone over our soul. Blessed be the Lord who hath not given us as a prey to their teeth. Our soul is escaped as a bird out of the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we are escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Let us pray. Lord, we're so thankful today that you have brought us here once again. We pray as the word is preached that a light from heaven would shine upon it, Lord, that we would begin to see it and understand it, Lord, that we would begin, in this case, to see in the light of the life of an epistle, which is a man named John Calvin. Lord, that we could see your light shining in his life and that there would be something about his life that would, we would be able to see as your word speaking to us today. In Christ's name we pray, and all the church said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. During Reformation Month, it seems that I, I normally, you guys know I normally preach, and I preach right to you, and I'm trying to bust up the hard ground in your lives, and uh, I'm trying to attack things with the sword of the Word of God that need to come down. Um, and during Reformation Month, these are almost like lectures that I'm doing because I'm wanting you to learn something about history and about the life of a man. So it's a little bit different for me, but the Bible says that we, as God's people, are epistles read and known of men. And 500 years ago, there was a man who lived named John Calvin whose life is still speaking to us today. Amen? He was a famed Protestant reformer, to say the least. A, to, to him we owe so very much. Even our order of worship. You know how we come together and the order that we do things in? This was developed by Calvin. Uh, of course, he recognized it in the scriptures and uh, he found that this covenant renewal worship style of coming together of uh, speaking to God, of con, uh, being reminded of His commands, of confessing our sins. This way of doing things, this call to worship. All of these things were uh, developed by John Calvin uh, in the mid-1500s. He was born on July the 10th in 1509 in the small town of Noyon in northern France, just outside of Paris. I pray one day I get to go there. I want to go to where Calvin was born and, uh, and where he did lots of things. But the suffering of the people endured in the age that he lived is really beyond our comprehension. When, when we gather together, we, we think we know a little bit about suffering and difficulty. And one good thing about history is when you read it, your perspective on that will change quite a bit. Uh, we live and our church has suffered some pain and some of us have suffered difficulty. But when you begin to read of the daily onslaught of tragedy, of death, of disease, of persecution in history, it can give you a real perspective. It's like traveling to a third world nation. You go to the third world nation and when you get home, it's hard to complain about your food. It's hard to complain about your house. It's hard to complain about one of your four cars. Do you see what I'm saying? You go over there and you find out the way they're living is so beyond you. And their, 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 uh, their, their friendship, their closeness to calamity and suffering is so severe that it really should make us embarrassed at our weakness and our frailty. Calvin was the first of four sons, but he was the first to survive all three of his older brothers died can you imagine that baby after baby being born and living just a little while in your home and dying what a horrible thing 
He was the first one of his parents' children to live. This was mere the beginning of the sorrows for Calvin at his home. His mother, Jean Lefranc, died of an unknown cause when Calvin was just a little boy. And then Gerard Calvin, his father, although he was a prosperous secretary of the local Catholic bishop serving as cathedral notary and register to the ecclesiastical court, he contracted cancer and had a uh, form of cancer which made him suffer. And for years he suffered and was in pain and there was no remedy for his cancer and he died. By the age of 22, Calvin was without a mother. He was without a father. He had been preceded in death by three brothers. And if all that wasn't enough, the black death came to Noyon. And almost every person he knew, every person he went to church with, everyone he grew up with, every one of them died. That's kind of horrible, isn't it? We suffer the loss of one and our hearts are ripped open and they stay open and we suffer with it. But these people in this time suffer daily, constant and severe things. It made them a little bit more sober and serious. And some people joke about the austerity of Calvin. In fact, do you know Calvin's name means bald? I mean, if, if you want to name your kid and you're looking up baby names, don't look up that one. for you know, If you're going to name your kid Calvin, just know that Calvin means bald, okay? And so, so for this man whose name means kind of austerity, when, when you culturally look at him, he, he's austere, he's got his beard, he's got his bald head, he's very serious. There was a reason for the sobriety of Calvin. Not only had his brothers died, his mother and his father and all the friends in his village died. This is rough business, folks. To help us get a little perspective on the timeline of Calvin's life in relation to the Great Reformation, he was eight years old. When Luther pounded the, 90, the nail to the 95 Thesis into the door of the Wittenberg Church in Germany. Luther was 33 years old. The time that Christ, when he was 33, was crucified was the time that Luther, that would be a good way for you to remember, that was the time he was when he nailed the 95 Thesis. This is the date, of course, as we've been talking about, that historians set as the start of the Great Reformation. So how many kids do I have here that are eight years old? Raise your hand if you're eight years old. Come on. So we got an eight-year-old here. We got an eight-year-old here. This was how old John Calvin was when Luther... We got some over here, eight-year-olds. Oh, Lisey's eight? I didn't know she was quite, you know. All right, we, yeah. All right, we got some. Oh, yeah, all right. Calvin, when God began the great movement of the Reformation, Calvin was eight years old. You might even be sitting here thinking to yourself, I'm just a little kid, but... But, when, but Calvin, even though he was a little kid, when this great thing happened, the Reformation started, it began to be his Reformation. He didn't just remain a little kid forever, but he grew up to be a man just like you are. You're going to be a good man when you grow up. You're going to love God. You're going to love his word. You're going to want to study it. And that's what Calvin did. He loved it. One historian said it this way, if Luther was the obstetrician or the midwife, however you might want to say here in this church, to the birth of the Reformation, then Calvin was its pediatrician. Calvin was the one who took the Reformation and helped it stay healthy and strong and made it possible. Nearly all historians of the Reformation agree that the greatest reformer of the entire movement was John Calvin. And kids, he was eight years old when the Reformation started, and he's considered the greatest reformer of all. Do you know you could be something great? You could do something great for God if you would just turn your life over to Him. Calvin was a scholar, a theologian, a teacher, a preacher, an evangelist, an administrator, a prolific and thoughtful writer, and he was a leader of men. As we will see from history in his own words, few suffered like Calvin from the attacks of the unbelievers and believers alike from the Catholic Church and really just from the, what was going on in the world around him. There was a war going on when Calvin lived. This was a constant in the life of great changes and frequent moves that were forced upon Calvin. For this reason, he studied the book of Psalms. 
he began to see his need for the heartfelt sacred songs of a man who began in his mind to, he, to identify with. He began to see himself kind of like David. That's why I had us read from Psalm, from 1 Samuel chapter 21. I mean, here we have a man who was anointed to be king of Israel by the prophet Samuel. And we'll read about him asking for showbread from the temple and trying to get a sword. Now, by God's providence, the sword happened to be there, the right one, right? Could you imagine that? I mean, if I were an archaeologist, I can't imagine anything more incredible, you know, than finding the sword of David. Do you know some of you could be an archaeologist? Some of you could go look for and find the sword of David. Wouldn't that be something? It's out there. It was a real thing. The sword of Goliath just happened to be laying in a cloth in, the, in this place. And he's like, this is the only one here. You want that one? And he's like, oh, there's none like this in all the world. And he had known it. He had held it in his hands before, right? He had taken it from Goliath and cut off his head. And Calvin began to see himself like this. Here he was, uh, you know, trying to do what was right, being anointed of God to do what was right, yet being attacked and being chased and running from place to place, as you will see. This is what Calvin's life was. And the Psalms weren't just little songs that seemed to rhyme or Psalms that seemed to be real airy and light, but he began to see the depth of the suffering of David in these words. The shepherd king of Israel, David himself, although many would consider the first book that Calvin wrote which he revised again and again throughout his life, the Institute of the Christian Religion. Most people would see that as his greatest and most influential document, but his lesser-known work in the 1542 Psalter may have been an equal impact on the world of the growing Reformation. Now, how many of you know what a Psalter is? A Psalter basically is the Psalms in a form to where we can sing them. So even though they were written in Hebrew, Calvin wanted people to be able to sing them in the languages they spoke. And they spoke what language? What language did Calvin speak? Anybody know? He spoke French. The people in Switzerland spoke French. And they also spoke German. A large part of the, that population spoke French. And of course, the area which is known today as France was a little bit different than it is today. But the language of French was something that held them together. As Luther had been prepared by God, as he went through the Psalms before the Reformation ever started, he later worked to bring God's songbook into better use among the German-speaking people, which was a large part of the world and a part of Switzerland as well. Both Luther and Calvin set out to see God's people singing and worshiping from God's songbook, the book of Psalms. That's what it is. When you read the book of Psalms, it was like, you know how we say, turn to this page in this book. This is what it was. The people of God had psalms they sang on different days for different things. As the stalwart, humble theologian Calvin grew into maturity in his ministry, he began every liturgy with the same psalm. You know how we gather together and we say, we stand up and we say, bless the Lord. That's what we're doing. We're singing a psalm. Oh, my soul and all that is within me. Well, Calvin had one that they sang and one that they stood up with. It, it was the psalm I read for you today from Psalm 124. There was a verse, though, that, that, that was the emphasis of this. It was the last verse, Psalm 128, verse 8. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Now you can say, you know, that sounds like a little poetical sort of a thing. But I can tell you right now that for Calvin, when Calvin said those words, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. I can tell you there was a depth to that that we're not grasping. You see, when you begin to look at the black plague, you don't feel strong. You feel what? You feel helpless. When God calls you to stand against a church that covers the whole world that has gone into apostasy and they have an entire city in Italy with millions of dollars of artwork and you know, tons of gold and, and all this power and God says, I want you to go and stand against them. Are you feeling strong? Like I can probably take them on. No, you're not feeling strong. When your friends are being taken and burned at the stake in front of you, are you feeling strong? 
And so when Calvin saying, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth, he was reminded of the passage of the scripture that we should be reminded of when we feel weak. Folks, when you feel weak, you should think of this scripture. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Sometimes we feel overcome and weak and we need to be reminded that's all right. For when I am weak, he is strong. You know, there's some weak people here. You're some of them. And sometimes we feel weak and we get discouraged. Don't get discouraged when you feel weak. When you feel weak, be encouraged. God, who made heaven and earth, he is our helper. Amen? Some people think they need to be strong. If, you, if, if all the strength represented 100%, all the strength that you needed to do something God called you to do, do you know how much you'd need? Just in it. If you had 1% of the strength to get it done, that'd be all right, because God would bring another 99% for you. That's how it works. You don't have to be strong. You have to be God's. And if God's called you and He sent you to do something, He will bring it to pass. This was not only the rock and the anchor of Calvin's liturgy, it was the rock of his life. Strong and capable as he was, he understood that this strength, this help, was in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth, and it was not in himself. As a young man, Calvin studied in three of the leading universities of France. He was at Orléans, he was at Bourget, he was in the University of Paris. From 1528 to 1533, he studied law at first, but then he began to find that theology was the love of his life. At first, as can be expected, Calvin was a devout Catholic. He was a, a young man of unblemished character. You could not say that he was a liar, that he was a cheat, that he was immoral and ungodly. He was a very godly young man. As the Reformation began, Calvin defended the teachings of the Roman church and with fervor, he opposed Lutheranism with a passion. That's what you do. He was raised in it, and he wanted to honor the church and honor God and honor its ministers. But when he began to see there was a tension between what God's Word said and what the church was doing, this began a war in his heart. Something happened to Calvin. He wrote about it in his introduction of his commentary that he wrote on the book of Psalms. If you can't read all of the commentary of Psalms by Calvin, you should read his introduction. Would some of you do that this week? And you'll, you'll hear some of the words and, and some of the stories that I'm getting ready to tell. He spoke about his conversion when he wrote the introduction to the book of Psalms. And he said, through private study, I could find no peace. I could find no peace in my absolutions which the church offered me through penances which they prescribed, through intercessions by these priests for me. He sought a deeper walk with God who had walked with Adam in the garden. He didn't merely want to follow the ways of the stone-cut law given through the fire at Mount Sinai. He wanted to walk and talk with God and to praise His name in the cool of the day. Any of you kids ever just want to sing to God? If you did, you were like me. When I was a little boy, I got to spend a lot of time by myself and with my dog. And, and I would go out in the woods, Steve, and I would go. There was, I remember this place where the grass was like this tall, Derek. And I don't know how really tall it was because I guess I was little. But I remember laying in the grass and it kind of creating a wall around me. And, and so I was kind of like hidden like a deer, you know, would lay in the grass. And my dog would lay there with me. My dog Prince, I had this white dog. And I remember laying in that grass and looking up and watching the big cumulus clouds go by. And I remember singing to God and tears coming out my eyes. Just singing about how good God was. I didn't realize how precious that was until I got older. But kids, if your heart sings out for God, know that, know that that's what He wants to hear. He wants to hear your song. David did the same thing and he wrote it down. And now we're singing those same words. Calvin wanted a life like that. He wrote these words. He said, by sudden conversion, God subdued and reduced to docility my soul, which was more hardened against such things that one would expect at such a young age in my 20s. Like a flash of light, I realized in what an abyss of errors and what chaos my life was in. And he turned his life over to God. 
Not long after his conversion, Calvin was forced to leave Paris. And it all happened on All Saints Day. There was a man by the name of, of Nicholas Kopp. He was the rector of the University of Paris. And he recognized in Calvin a student way above and beyond his years. And so he began to collaborate with Calvin, even though Calvin was just in his 20s. Not, he was as young as you are, Nathaniel. He be, his teacher began to see that Calvin was not an ordinary young man, but he was someone who was fit for the work of God. And Nicholas Kopp, who's the rector, the guy in charge of the university, he goes to Calvin, he says, would you write my speech? He goes, I want you to write my speech. I know you understand things in a way that I don't. Could you write it? And so he wrote the speech that was to be given on Inauguration Day, on All Saints Day, as the year began for their school. This speech took the whole university by surprise, and Calvin wrote it. This was Calvin's first shot, really fired, in the religious revolution we call the Reformation. This speech was a plea for reformation on the basis of the Bible. A return to the word of God to, uh, for its authority and its practice. The university and the government regarded this speech for just what it was. A manifesto of war upon the Catholic Church and condemned it to the flames. It was all that and more. Calvin was not joking around. He saw that people had begun to believe in the church and believe in the authority of these godless men more than the word of God itself. And Calvin was not about that. Any of you ever see something that you think needs changed and you go, oh, well, that's just the way it is. Folks, don't think like that. Kids, don't think like that. Don't look in the world and go, things are always going to be this way. You know, you can't fight against it. You can't do anything about it. Be inspired by Calvin. Can you imagine? Here he is, a 22-year-old kid or however old he was exactly. He's at the university and God gives him the opportunity to write a speech. And it like, it's like dropping a bomb at his university. Cop, they tell him, they said, we're going to burn all of you at the stake. They, they take off running for their life. Can you imagine this? You, you think you're, you're hey, I'm going to write the speech. And he takes the time to write it out. Nathaniel, imagine you, you're writing it out. Okay, this is what's important. These are the important parts. And the speech is given. And you're maybe hoping they'll all repent and come to God. But instead, they're like, we're going to burn you is what we're going to do. So everybody was running. They ran in every direction. Uh, Nicholas Kopp took off and he runs off to Switzerland, to Basel, Switzerland. And Calvin goes back to his room and they're like, uh, they're coming to get you. You're going to be in trouble. And they take sheets just like you would, you know, how they do in a movie. They tie them together. And Calvin is lowered down by some sheets out of a back room so that he doesn't get caught. He dresses up as a gardener and puts a hoe over his shoulder as he's walking out. Can you picture it? Kind of reminds you of what happened to the Apostle Paul. He was Saul railing against the church. He was converted, right? And he's in Damascus. And when he gets converted and he starts preaching, what do they want to do? We're going to kill him. And what do they do to him? But lower him down over a wall in a basket. You can read about it in Acts chapter 9. Could you imagine that Calvin was going from his theoretical Christianity to Nathaniel? You got a lot of that. Theoretical Christianity was moving to, now I'm actually, you know, there's nowhere in the Bible where, you know, can we translate sheets? No, you, you just got to hang off of them, okay? You got to hang off these sheets and get out of town, get out of Dodge so you can live. Hi, wear the gardener's clothes. I can imagine Calvin feeling like he was being deceptive, but he's like, I got to live, you know, and so he leaves. From this point on in his life, he would begin to identify more and more with the psalmist David. Heretofore, he had a life out of the public eye, one of study, one of introspection, one of trying to learn how to divide God's word. But now, as God had ordained and anointed him, his life was turned upside down in an instant. He would be hunted and harried as he sought only to do the will of God. This is what happened after David was anointed by Saul with the oil poured over his head that fateful day. He had been gazing at the stars, singing to God as he shepherded his father's sheep in the wonderful solitude he sang and played that harp and talked to God. He was a man after God's own heart, but after he was anointed, he was chased by the devil and Saul and all his enemies. In fact, he had become, Calvin, in a short instant, went from being a nobody to become the head of the evangelical party of France. They loved his speech so much. It was like, that's it. 
Can you, you know sometimes when someone says something and you read it and you go, that's what I've been trying to say. You guys ever read something like that? There's this book that we're reading that Doug Phillips, uh, not Doug Phillips, that Doug Wilson wrote uh, recently about food. And some of these things we're reading, I'm like, you know, that's what I wish I would have said. And so here we have Calvin writing things. And when people read these things that Calvin writes, they're saying, that's what I would. They're like, we need to have Calvin. So they make him the head of the evangelical party in France less than a year after his conversion. According to one historian, Calvin could have lost his life on this one day. One of his fellow uh, disciples, one of his once young men that he knew was caught preaching and they grabbed him and they did something so horrible. I hate to even say it. But the people of the day took him and they put him out in public and they began to cut his tongue out of his mouth. And they did it. And Calvin was watching this and he was dying inside. Then they took the man and they took him over and they began to burn him and Calvin was dying. And Calvin rushed to go stop it. And the people around him grabbed Calvin. They said, no, no. And they dragged him away. If Calvin had gone forward that day, he would have joined him on the pyre. Those men saved Calvin's life that day and perhaps the entire Reformation. For at least a year, Calvin was hunted from city to city. Most people don't know this about Calvin. He had assumed names. They even have some of his names. You know, you know how you've seen the prisoners, you know, people get arrested and they say, this is Mark Robinette, a.k.a. Johnny Dangerously, or whatever it is, right? He was faking his name. He was staying in towns. He was hiding in places. This is what Calvin was doing for a year of his life. Everywhere he went, he taught small groups in secret places and even in caves. He's probably feeling like, wait a minute, this is what happened to early Christians. They're hiding out in the catacombs. He's, he, who is he identifying with? He's beginning to identify with the suffering of the church throughout all ages. Everywhere he went, he taught these groups. He was obviously, God was with him and protected him as he used the fires of these circumstances to refine his character and make him into the man that he would need to be for the work he was called to do. This is what God does. You may wonder to yourself, why am I, why am I going through all this stuff? You're not that old of a guy. God is doing something in you. You might say, oh, well, this is just the difficulties of life. God is making you into what He needs you to be to do what He's going to give you to do. I don't know what that might be. But that's what He's doing. That's what He was doing to Calvin. Don't you think Calvin would have loved to, you know, get a big pulpit and get a bunch of people, but instead He's hiding and He's going into these caves and He's talking to people and He's running for His life. Why? That's how God prepared David to be king. That's how he prepared Calvin to do his work. Calvin was chosen to nurture and raise the Reformation. He was chosen to be the father of it. God might be preparing you to be a father of a great man. And you needed years to be prepared for that task. Calvin's wandering ceased in 1535 when he found rest in Basel, Switzerland, where Nicholas Kopp had fled after the speech at University of Paris. During that period, he came in contact with a man named Martin Bucer, known as the reformer of Strasbourg, who was the professor of theology at the university there. Can you imagine? You made it. You made it through France. You survived. You're preaching. No one got you. And now you're in the town where the guy whose speech you wrote for, now you're in the town. Now you're at uh, you know, a college. And now you're with Martin Bucer. And now you're there. And you're like, Oh, I can, now I'm home. Now I can do the work God's called me to do. It's going to be fantastic. I'm going to study. I'm going to write books. I'm going to do these wonderful, amazing things. God had some other plans for old Calvin. It was there at Basil. Calvin had time to spend formulating truths. And God gave him the opportunity to write his first book. But he was just a young man. Do you know Calvin wrote the Institute of the Christian Religion when he's in his 20s? And over his life, he revised it over and over and over five, six times throughout his life before he died. One thing I've learned as a man, I'm getting ready to turn 50, and I'm actually thanking God I didn't write things when I was 25 and 26 because I'd be rewriting them over and over and over as I begin to learn God's word better. And God begins to change me and makes me into a different man. 
This work is undeniably his greatest exposition of evangelical truth produced in the Reformation. But it was produced in a rudimentary way and it began to grow as he began to grow as a man. He wrote it there at Basel and he thought, oh, I want to do more of this. I want to write more books. I want to write. He had all these great ideas for things he wanted to do. Calvin happened to be the first man ever to give a systematic presentation of the evangelical reformed faith. That's why he's the greatest reformer ever. His book threw fear and consternation into the Roman church and was a powerful unifying force among Protestants. They began to translate this 20-some-year-old kid's book into every language that was known around. And people began to use it in the classrooms, in their churches, and around where the Reformation was spreading everywhere. It became the common textbook of the schools of the Reformed churches and furnished materials out of which all of the creeds came of the Reformed church. Just when Calvin thought he knew what he would be doing for the rest of his life, things took an unexpected turn. He needed to go home and settle the estate of his father, and he went back home. And on his return visit to France, which he was having to kind of sneak around a little bit, he was getting close to Paris, you know, he was from Noyon, which is right outside of Paris. As he's on his way there, Charles V, who's the great emperor of Rome, which Rome really wasn't a great empire at the time, but there were still vestiges of it. And the I, also known as Francis the Big Nose of France. Come on, guys. you, you got to get with me here. They were clashed in a battle, and they happened to be right on the road home. He couldn't make it back to his house. And so what he does is he takes a diversion, and he goes into this little town that we all know today called Geneva. And Steve, you know what he says? He says, I'm going to stay all night, one night in Geneva. And that's, that's all I'm going to be here. It's on my way home. That's where I really want to go is to Geneva. How many know that Calvin doesn't stay just one night in Geneva? That's where really all of his ministry takes place for the rest of his life. Calvin thought he knew what he would expect for doing the rest of his life. As he went to visit Geneva, the detour took him out of the way around the battlefield. Geneva was the great home was a home to the great pioneering reformer, William Farrell. Now, something I didn't actually put in my notes I want to share with you today. Farrell had also been at the University of Paris. And a few years ago, I taught you about the reformer. You guys remember the guy's name? It's really strange. It's kind of hard. Maybe it's hard to remember. But his name is Jacques Lefebvre. It's spelled like Lefebvre. Okay, Jacques Lefebvre. Jacques Lefebvre was the professor at the University of Paris that taught... Luther stuff, that taught Calvin stuff, that taught many of these great reformers. His part in this work is undeniable. And here we have Pharaoh who is older. He had been there years before Calvin, and he had heard about Calvin, and he was taking what he had learned, and he goes to Geneva, Switzerland, and begins, and he starts a church. And he's there and he's got a church, but he realized he has his hands full. And what he wants to do in the kingdom of God, he doesn't really have the education. He doesn't really have the sharpened tools of the scholar that he needs to get it done. And so here he is. Someone says, hey, you know, you know that young kid who wrote that book, that super cool book that everyone really likes? He's in town for one night and one night only. Now, folks, there's something to be said for people that don't go, huh, that's interesting. People like that don't have good stories. He goes, he's in town for one night. Where is he? Where is he staying? I got to see him. I got to talk to him. I got to go get him. And they're like, oh, you know, he'll be gone. I mean, he's leaving. He's only here for one night. He's on his way back to his family to settle his father's estate. Where is he? Pharaoh was not a guy to be told what to do. And he wasn't a guy to wait and to wonder, oh, maybe something good's going to happen. Farrell had heard a great deal about Calvin. He was determined that Calvin was just what his church needed. You know, it's a good thing to have a pastor who knows what the church needs and he's willing to go get it. Amen? He heard Calvin was in town for the night. That night he sought out Calvin and he said, Calvin, you are what my church needs. And Calvin said, not me. You don't understand. I'm shy. I really would like to spend time writing books. I'd really like to... Maybe write a history book, or I'd like to write some doctrines, and, and really, I need more study. I need, I need more books. That's what I need. 
And Pharaoh goes, oh, really? Oh, is that what you think you need? But who needs you? God needs you. God's people. The people of my church need you. And Calvin's like, no, not me. You got the wrong guy. When Pharaoh could not persuade Calvin through nice words, he threatened him. And when I read his threat, some of you might wonder why I even read it, but it's written down for posterity. He told Calvin that if he would not consent to stay in Geneva and work alongside him, that if he preferred his studies to the work of God in his own interest to the, to the cause of Christ, he said, you're concerned about your rest and personal interest that I proclaim to you in the name of Almighty God, whose command you defy. Upon your work there shall be no blessing. Therefore, let God damn your rest and let God damn your work. And I pray that he will torment you night and day. That's pretty rough stuff. He didn't just go, I think maybe you might like a position in my church. <laughs> Calvin was terrified by this. Calvin, a young man, Pharaoh, a little bit older. He said, okay, I'll stay. I mean, it's, you, know, you have fear of God and a guy, a guy literally is praying. He called it, uh, in his commentary to the song, he said, he prayed in, in imprecations, like an imprecatory song. Imprecations upon me that, and his reply to Pharaoh was, okay, okay, I will obey God. The two worked together for two years in Geneva before being, both of them, they became buddies. And they ended up both getting kicked out of, uh, of Geneva. And so they're thrown out. So before, you know, it was this old guy threatening him, and now they're both tied together in the work, and they both get thrown out of Calvin. You know why they got thrown out of Geneva? They refused to use unleavened bread in communion. Calvin said, we're not using unleavened bread. We're using leavened bread. It's going to be good. It's going to be some good bread. And they said, this is heresy. The people got mad, and they threw him out of town. But it would only be something that would enhance his ministry for years to come because once again he was learning what it needed to be to depend on God. He was learning what it needed. To, he didn't have a job. He didn't have a place to go. He didn't know what to do. He, couldn't, he didn't even have a church to work from. Their work would be fraught with difficulty from the world outside as those within the church because it was the people in their own reformed church that threw them out. Isn't that funny? Calvin got kicked out by his own church people. This is when Calvin learned best what Psalm 18.10 means. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. Calvin found himself running and running and running. And where did he find out he was going to run to, Jeff? He ran out of places to run to. So where did he run? I will run to the tower of God. See, this is what, when David talked about, you know, I'll never think of the Psalms again this, uh, differently after this. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it or say, that's written by a man who ran into some towers, who ran to hide, who was running to save his own life. In these tumultuous and tempestuous times in his life, Calvin learned to trust in the rock of his God and to build his house upon it. And for this reason, the great house of the Reformation still stands today after many storms because it too was built upon the rock. How often in the Psalms we find prayers beginning with the invocation of the divine name of the Lord. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is thy name in all the earth. Psalm 8.1 The great halil of the Passover liturgy, the great words spoke at its commencement begin with the threefold invocation of the holy name of God. If you don't know what the halil is, I'll explain it to you. When they would begin a feast like... There's no feast, there's no feast, but at the beginning they would, someone would stand up and they would go, the feast is going to begin. And they would proclaim it. And they would do this from the psalm. And they would say, praise ye the Lord. Praise ye servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth evermore. From the rising of the sun unto the going down of the same. The Lord's name is to be praised. And then the Passover would begin. Isn't that great? The Halil is called the Halil because it comes from the word praise, to praise God. And that's what the Psalms are all about. The Halil comes from the letter H in Hebrew, which started out, they believe, as a hieroglyph of a man doing this. Can you picture this? 
What does this look like? If we had a letter in the English language, Stephen, what would it be? Two hands up raised, two legs down like this. Can anyone think of a letter? The letter H. Halil. Hallelujah. Holy is the Lord God Almighty. And that's what they sing. That's why the word, these, this letter H is a powerful letter. And in, even in the Hebrew language, this comes from this. It is of praise, praise, praise be to God, the great Halil. As we learned last week, Luther sought solace and strength in the Psalms and ended up composing songs and music from them still used by the church today. Both he and Calvin resorted to the word, they restored the word of God and the worship of God to the church. Their translations of the Bible as a whole to the word of God and their instruction of singing from the Psalms to worship were their two greatest contributions to their work. In Calvin's word from the introduction to his commentary, he said this. He said, the Psalms, the varied and resplendent riches which are contained in it, are no easy matter to express in words. So much so that I well know that whatever I shall be able to say will be far from approaching the excellence of the subject. Calvin called the Psalms an anatomy of the parts of the soul. For he said this, there is not an emotion of which any of us can be conscious that is not here represented to us in a mirror. Or rather, the Holy Spirit has here drawn to the life, the griefs, the sorrows, the fears, the doubts, the hopes, the cares, perplexities, in short, all the distracting emotions with which the minds of men are wont to be agitated. The other parts of Scripture contain the commandments of God and joined to His servants to announce to us, but here the prophets themselves, seeing they are exhibited to us as speaking to God and laying open their innermost thoughts and affections, call or rather draw each of us to examine himself. Did any of you ever feel sad, lonely, hurt, unappreciated, cast down, hopeless? The Psalms are for you. That's what David's saying. Those, they're not wrong to feel like that. To feel lonely. That's what the Psalms are there for. The writer of the Psalm felt all of these things and he gave us something to sing. Calvin said the great twists and turns and the great trials and turmoils he experienced in his life drew him to the Psalms and to the life of its chief author, David, who wrote 73 of the Psalms. This is also from the introduction to the Psalms written by Calvin. He said, For although I follow David at a great distance and come far short of equaling him, or rather, although in aspiring slowly with great difficulty to attain many virtues to which David excelled, I still feel myself tarnished with the contrary vices. Yet if I have anything in common with David, I have no hesitation in comparing myself with him. In reading the instance of his faith, patience, fervor, and zeal, and integrity, it has, as it ought, Drawn from me unnumbered groans and sighs that I am so far from approaching them. But it has notwithstanding been of a great advantage to me to behold him as in a mirror, both the commencement of my calling and the continued course of my function, so that I know the more assuredly that whatever that most illustrious king and prophet suffered was exhibited to me by God as an example for my imitation. My condition, no doubt, is much inferior to his that it is necessary for me to say and show this. But as he was taken from the sheepfold and elevated to the rank of supreme authority, so God, having taken me from the original obscurity and humble condition of my life, has reckoned me worthy to be vested with the honorable office of preacher and minister of the gospel. When I was yet a very little boy, my father destined me for the study of theology, but afterwards, when he considered that, a legal profession commonly raised those who followed it. Wealth and this prospect induced him to suddenly change his purpose, and he put me to school of law. Thus it came to pass that I, when I withdrew from the study of philosophy and was put to the study of law, this pursuit I endeavored faithfully to apply myself in obedience to the will of my Father. But God, by his secret guidance and his providence, at length gave a different direction to my course. At first, since I was too obstinately devoted to the superstitions of the Catholic Church I grew up in, to be easily extricated from so profound an abyss and mire, God, with a sudden conversion, subdued and brought my mind to a teachable frame that was more hardened in such matters than might have been expected from one at my time of life. Having thus received some taste and knowledge of true godliness, I was immediately inflamed 
with such an intense desire to make progress therein that although I did not altogether leave off my studies, yet I pursued them with less ardor. In short, while my great subject was to live in seclusion without being known, God so led me about through different turnings and changings that he never permitted me to rest in any place until in spite of my natural disposition, he brought me forth into the public. Leaving my native country, I retired to Germany expressly for the purpose of being able to enjoy some obscure corner, the repose which I always desired, which had been so longed, denied me. He kept thinking, now I'm going to get to rest. Now I'm going to get my quiet corner to read. Now I'm going to get to study all I want to study. And God kept saying, no, no. You know, you learn sometimes a lot more in doing than you ever do in studying. You learn the actual application of it. I'm going to keep reading a little bit more from Calvin's commentary. He said, I resolved to continue in the same privacy and obscurity until at length William Farrell detained me at Geneva, not so much by counsel or by exhortation, but by a dreadful imprecation, which I felt as if God from heaven had laid his mighty hand upon me. You know, sometimes when we talk to people, we can be the mighty hand of God upon their shoulder saying, this is what God wants from you. I felt... As God from heaven has laid his mighty hand upon me to arrest me. As the most direct road to Strasbourg, which I intended to retire, was shut up by the war, I resolved to pass quickly by Geneva without staying longer than a single night. Isn't this the life that we live sometimes? We think we know what God's plans are for us, but we do not. Pharaoh, who burned with an extraordinary zeal to advance the gospel, immediately strained every nerve to detain me. Can you picture this scene? After having learned that my heart was set upon devoting myself to private studies for which I wanted to keep myself free of other pursuits, finding that he gained nothing by entreaties, he proceeded to utter an imprecation that God would curse my retirement and my tranquility and the studies of which I sought. If I should withdraw and refuse to give assistance to God and the people of God when the necessity of it was so needed, by imprecation I was so stricken with terror that I desired and desisted from the journey which I had undertaken and stayed to do the work that Calvin asked me to do. I could go on and on, but it looks like maybe my time is coming to an end here. He said, I can say that I have been assailed on all sides and have scarcely been able to enjoy any repose, not for a single moment, but I've always had to sustain some conflict either from the enemies without or the enemies within. Satan has made many attempts to overthrow the fabric of this church. And once it came to this, I altogether feeble and timorous as I was, was compelled to break and put a stop to his deadly assaults by putting my life in danger and opposing people with blows. Calvin literally, I don't know if you know this, Calvin was real timid and kind of shy, wasn't a strong guy. And this guy wanted to fight Calvin. And right in the middle of the church, Calvin's like, come on. The guy, he literally wanted to come up and take bread off the table. And Calvin said, through my body, you'll be coming and grabbing this. He had excommunicated the man. And the man's like, you're not tough enough to keep me from taking communion bread. And Calvin put his body between the bread and him. He said, yeah, you will. He began to understand the Psalms. Yea, mine own familiar friend whom I trusted did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. Psalm 41. For it was not an enemy that reproached me, but it was thou, a man mine equal, my guide and mine acquaintance. These are the very words of David. We took sweet counsel together and we walked in the house of God in company. Calvin knew what it was like to be attacked from without and within. I do have to read you this. Can you guys, can I read you just a little bit more? They accused Calvin of getting rich from the church. Someone recently said, hey, uh, we think that the Robinettes may secretly be rich. Because they look like they're rich. And they said, but then we figured out maybe they're really not. And folks, I can tell you, Pastor Robidette is far from being rich. But uh, I don't mind if you think I am. That's okay. But here's what Calvin did. They said, others circulated to ridiculous ports concerning my treasures. Others of an extravagant authority and enormous influence 
They say that I possess. Others speak of the delicacies and the magnificence of all of the food that I get. But when a man is content with scanty food and common clothing and does not require from the humblest more frugality than he shows and practices himself, shall it be said that such a one is too sumptuous and lives too high a style? Here's, here's the line I wanted to get to. He said, and if there were some who I cannot persuade while I'm alive that I'm not rich, my death at length will prove it. <laughs> he said, when I die, you'll see my estate really wasn't much. He quotes from Psalm 120. He says, I protest after the example of David, for I, I am for peace, but when I speak, the people I speak to, they are for war. But since the condition of David was such that though he deserved well of his own people, he was nevertheless bitterly hated by many without, as he complains in Psalm 69. I resorted to that which I took not away. I had to restore that which I took not away. It afforded me no small consolation when I groundlessly was assailed by the hatred of those who ought to have assisted and solaced me to conform myself to the example of so great and excellent person as David. And I began to do as David did, not as I wanted to do. After being forced to leave Geneva in 1538, Calvin settled in Strasbourg again, where he joined the Huguenot congregation and he led numerous worship services. It was in Strasbourg where he became familiar with the German versification of the Psalms that Martin Luther had done. Do you know there are things in your life that you will start that you'll never finish? Or things that you'll start that other people will be able to do better? And so I pray that this is what happens in this church. And so Luther had his place and he started this. But what Luther started with the Psalms, Calvin took to another level. Calvin began to write songs in French for his congregation from the Psalms. Considering his own versions of the Psalms not to be sufficient of quality. He wanted the songs, he said, I want, these, I want the tunes to be majestic. I want them to be God-honoring. I want people to be elevated just by the very tunes and so he sought out the man who had written tunes for Luther, Clement Marot, who happened to be in Basel at the same time. And he began to write songs and psalms with Calvin. These Geneva melodies are still widely used in the churches all over the world, in particular the melody for the old 100th, the doxology. We sang it today. You guys know it? Da, 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 da. What's beautiful is Calvin and the man collaborating on the 134th Psalm wrote that tune. Every week that we sing that tune, we're singing a tune that Calvin sang. A song that Calvin put with the words from Psalm 134. You might say, well, why is it called Old 100? Because the tune is sung for many of the Psalms. And the one it's most famous for in the English language is Psalm 100. That's why it's called the old 100th. The tune is, but we ought to call it the old 134th because that's what was originally written for by Calvin. Every Sunday we sing it. We should remember where it came from. It came from the work of Calvin as he worked making the Genevan Psalter, the Genevan 1542. Here are the words of the psalm they sang with the melody. I'm closing. I decided to write one for you guys. I wanted to be like Calvin. Is that okay with you guys? Behold, bless ye the Lord. If I was going to try to do it, actually, let me read the psalm and then I'll sing it for you. Behold, bless ye the Lord, all ye servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord, the Lord that made heaven and earth. Bless thee out of Zion. So here's what I wrote. Bless ye the Lord who serve Him now, who stand by night within His house. Lift up your hands within this place. Praise our Creator, seek His face. Amen. So maybe we can sing that sometime. Okay? You want to try it? Bless ye the Lord who serve him now. Okay? 
Bless ye the Lord who serve Him now. Who stand by night within the house. Within His house. Lift up your hands within this place. Praise our Creator. Seek His face. Creator, seek His face. Amen. So today we sang with Calvin the song that he wrote for the 1542 Psalter. And may we be people who love to live the Psalms, to sing the Psalms, and to lead our children to love God from his songbook. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Lord, you're so kind to us, so merciful to us, Lord. I pray today, Lord, as we look into the life of Calvin, that as we look into the Psalms of David, that there we would see our hearts torn open before you. Lord, that when David suffered, we remember that he was a man like us. David, whose kingdom, whose throne, you said, will be established forever. Who our King and Lord Jesus, who also had deep emotion. He cried out. He wept. He prayed. He suffered. And as we go to the Psalms, may we bring our hearts with us and may we lay them out as a gift to you. For the sacrifices of God are a broken and a contrite spirit. O oh Lord, thou will not despise. In Jesus' name, amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.